Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues on in the Bible series on the Book of Romans, with part one of this message entitled, The Absolute Freedom of God. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 14. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we pray that you be with us in all your glory and majesty, in all your greatness, that you may humble your saints further because you give grace to the humble and that you may humble sinners who never bow down to your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that we all be humbled in your presence, that we all may receive grace, that we all may be saved, that we may all bring you praise. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 9, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Five verses. And verse 14 is a question of the wicked. The wicked questions God. And verse 15 is God's first response to this question. And verse 16 is the conclusion we draw from God's first response. And verse 17 is the second response to the same question of verse 14. Is God unjust? That's the question. And verse 18 is this conclusion we draw from that second response of God. May God help us not to question him, but humbly receive God's self-revelation. So what is the title, friend? The absolute freedom of God. That is the sovereignty of God. That God does what he pleases and creation can do nothing about it. The demons and the devil and the wicked people of the world, the Caesars and pharaohs and kings can do nothing about it. The absolute freedom of God to do what he pleases with you and with me. Think about it, friend. And if you are tempted to ask question, shut your mouth. Put your hand to the mouth. As you see him in all his greatness, in his self-disclosure in the scriptures, the great American theologian of the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards, defines freedom of God. He defines God's sovereignty 
as follows. Listen, friends, it is God's absolute independent right of disposing of all creatures according to his own pleasure. The absolute freedom of God is God's absolute independent right of disposing of all creatures according to his own good pleasure. That is, God saves some sinners and punishes the vast majority of sinners according to his own will. He saves some sinners and punishes the vast majority of sinners according to his pleasure. God is not guided or constrained by anything outside of himself. So he chose Jacob to salvation and Esau to punishment before they were born, before they did anything good or bad, though they were children of the same father and same mother. And they were twins. But we know They were children of Adam conceived in sin and born as sinners to practice sin. In fact, we learn the Bible says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And this love was an active love and his hatred for Esau was also active hatred so God does with sinners what he pleases I know you argued with your father and mother and everybody else so you learn to argue with God but it doesn't work only God of the Bible is thrice holy independent self-determining being And this God shows mercy to some sinners and justly condemns the rest. And if we have been shown mercy, then let us adore the sovereignty of God. God's absolute freedom to do what he pleases with all his rational creatures, angels and demons. Now this is taught in the Bible that God is righteous in all he does. And God is sovereign, absolutely free. Deuteronomy 32, 39. I put to death and bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah 46, 10, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. 
Psalm 135 verse 6, the Lord does whatever he pleases in the heavens and on the earth. Shut your mouth. That itch to talk back to God. Control yourself. Because God is absolutely free. In Romans 9.14, Paul anticipates a question from his unbelieving hearers, probably the unbelieving Jewish people. So that's the first point. Verse 14, the question. What is the question? Is God unjust? Or isn't God unjust in showing mercy to some and condemning the rest? Is God unjust in loving Jacob and hating Esau? And St. Paul answers it by the most powerful negation in the Greek language he could find. Megenoito. Unthinkable. Because God is dealing with sinners, sons of Adam. And Paul proved the universality of sin in Romans 1.18 through chapter 3 verse 20. There is none righteous. You pretend to be righteous. But God says there is none righteous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are told the wrath of God is revealed against Everyone, everyone is suppressing truth by their wicked thoughts and deeds. Everyone, God exists. It is God's freedom to show mercy to some sinners. And it is God's freedom to punish the rest. All are sinners, and the wages of sin is death. And it is God's prerogative to give the gift of eternal life to some who are eternally chosen to salvation. So God was gracious to some Jews, and yet he passed by the vast majority of the nation Israel. And this is true in God's dealings with people throughout redemptive history. Eight people were saved and the rest were killed in the flood. Remember that. So even today he chooses some Christians to eternal salvation and let the majority of those who call themselves Christians to suffer the just wrath of God. He will tell the majority of Christians on the last day, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. It is the freedom of God. It is God's sovereignty. Paul here is dealing only with God's freedom. Not the freedom of sinful creatures. That's not the subject. 
Listen to Jonathan Edwards again if we are tempted to open our mouth and question him. If we are tempted to argue against the freedom of God. Listen friends very carefully especially you who are arrogant and trained yourself to argue with father and mother and pastor and everybody else may you listen carefully to this profound statement of the great theologian Jonathan Edwards seeing you thus disregard so great a God is it a heinous thing for God to slight you it's a rhetorical question the answer is no. You, a little wretched, despicable creature, a worm, a mere nothing and less than nothing. A vile insect that has risen up in contempt against the majesty of heaven and earth. Does this occur to you as you talk back to your mother and father? and your pastor and your teacher a little wretched despicable creature a worm a mere nothing and less than nothing a vile insect just sprung up to treat the majesty of God with contempt well we may confess that Jonathan Edwards was ignorant of our secular idea of self-esteem and self-worship and self-adulation and self-centeredness and self-glorification. But is the question, is God unrighteous in showing mercy to the elect few and not showing mercy to the majority of sinners? Jew or Gentile, the answer is no, 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 no. And the reason is soon he will quote Exodus 33:19. The reason is because God Himself has shown us in the scriptures that He did exactly that in the past. So Paul quotes two scriptures from Exodus. Now let me say a few words about scriptures. The Jews believed in the absolute authority of the scriptures. Today even most of the so-called Christians do not believe in the absolute infallibility, inerrancy and authority of the Bible. The apostles believed in the inspiration and the authority of the scriptures. You should read the book by B.B. Warfield of Princeton. The inspiration and the authority of the scriptures. Satan believes in the authority of the Bible. Jesus cited the scriptures to Satan and he was defeated. Satan flees when he hears it is written friends when the Bible says God says when the Bible says Holy Spirit says when the Bible says Christ says 
No more argument and disputation. Pastor, show me from the Bible and I will believe. Father, Mother, show me from the Bible and I will obey. May God help us to know the will of God by knowing scriptures. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Peter says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. First Corinthians 10, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, stands written, with all the authority of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's the end of the argument. Friends, a true Christian loves the word, studies the word, diligently believes the word, and pleases God by obeying the voice of God in the scriptures. Is God unrighteous? Not at all. Not at all, sir. It is the nature of God to be righteous. God is holy. Abraham knew this. And asked God in Genesis 18, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is God always do what is right. Righteousness is the character of God. It is his name. To say God is unjust for Paul is self-contradictory. God is not a man that he should lie. Also, we could say, God is not a man that he should be unjust. Friends, without God and his self-revelation in the scriptures, nobody would know what is right. Sinful man is always finding fault with God. Genesis 3.12 The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And you read the last book, Malachi 1, verse 2 and verse 6, and Malachi 2, verse 14, Malachi 3, verse 7 and 13, and so on. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Answer us. Vile insect worm. 
despicable creatures stands up questioning God. Prove to me that you loved us. Friends, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. It is his nature to be righteous. It is his nature to be faithful. So 119th Psalm we read, Righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. 119 Psalm, verse 142, your righteousness is everlasting and your law is what? True. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Psalm 71 verse 19, Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. God would be unjust if he chose sinless Jacob to eternal salvation and sinless Esau to eternal damnation. Did you understand that? God in his mercy chose fallen son of Adam, Jacob, to salvation and let fallen son of Adam, Esau, to suffer the wages of sin, eternal death. Friends, God is free to condemn all sons of Adam. He is not obligated to save even one son of Adam. So, God deals with some in mercy, and he deals with most sinners in his justice. So there is no unrighteousness in God. Matthew 20 verse 15 in the parable of workers in the vineyard God teaches the principle that God is free to show mercy to whomever he wants to show mercy. So the master asks the murmuring workers who were paid what was agreed but they were murmuring And the master asked, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And so the second, God's first response to the question of the arrogant. And this response shows that there is no unrighteousness with God in showing mercy to some. Because God acted this way in the history of Israel. This quotation is from Exodus 33 verse 19. The background is at Sinai Israel has committed a great sin. They became idolaters and they made a golden calf and worshipped it. The holy God was angry. Moses would rather be accursed if sinful Israel could be saved. But this is impossible. 
How can sinful Moses atone any one's sin? Then Moses makes three requests to God. First, please teach me your ways. Exodus 33:13. Second, he found out that God is not going to go with him and the people. So 33:14, please go with us to the land of promise. Now listen, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? It is the presence of God with us that distinguishes us. We belong to God. The people of God are distinguished by the presence not of angels, even though angels are with us, but of God himself. So Jesus said, remember, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the ages. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's the good shepherd. Even while we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will discover God's consoling presence with us. And the third request, chapter 33 of Exodus, verse 18, show me thy glory. And God answers this request also in 33 verse 19. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Remember, he revealed his name as Yahweh, the Lord, in Exodus 3 and verse 14. I am that I am. Meaning, I am self-existing, self-determining, self-sufficient, sovereign being. That's what I am. Now, in Exodus 33, verse 19, he amplifies his name, Yahweh, Lord. That is, God gives further understanding of his name. He is teaching Moses. He is giving him knowledge of God. He's giving him additional knowledge of God. My name, Lord, means I am characterized by absolute freedom. In that, I will show mercy to whomever I show mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. This means I'm not going to show mercy to all Israel whom I brought out of Egypt. That is, to the majority, I will not show mercy. They will die in the wilderness. In my freedom, I will show mercy and compassion to some whom I choose. You should read Dr. John Piper's book, The Justification of God. It is a very clear exegetical study of Romans 9. Friends, not many wise, influential, or of noble birth are shown mercy by God. Not many wise or strong are being saved even today. God in his freedom chooses the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the zeros, the nothings of this world to eternal salvation to the praise of his glorious grace. 
Bestowal of mercy is a divine prerogative. It is discriminating mercy. It rests solely on God's will that is his good pleasure. The rich he sends empty away. The poor he feeds. It is his sovereign right to dispense mercy as he chooses. God taught Moses that his name is expressed in his freedom to have mercy on whomever he has mercy. Read Piper on it. God is free from any constraint originating in the creatures. This is the essence of what it means to be God. God is without cause or constraint outside of himself. Piper says again, God's righteousness is essentially his unswerving allegiance to his own name and his own glory. It's disappointing to arrogant people. Did you hear that? He is concerned about only one thing, his own glory. Piper says again, God's glory includes absolute freedom in election. The essence of God's righteousness is his commitment to uphold and display the infinite value of his glory and his name. So says Piper. Disappointing to arrogant creatures. He doesn't worry about you. The vile insect that sprang up, treating God with contempt. He is not a poodle that follows you wherever you go. You follow him. God the Holy One glorifies himself in his saving of the elect by mercy and judging of others in his justice. In all he does, sir, he is what? Glorified. In all he does, salvation or judgment, he is glorified. When people sin, friend, when people sin, when you sin, when your children sin, they belittle God. And God will not be belittled. When you don't obey your father, you are dishonoring and belittling the father. And thus belittling God. So God must deal with sinners to uphold his glory. He must deal with every sin of every sinner. That his glory be upheld, says Piper. God is righteous when he values what is most valuable, which is what? His own glory. I prayed that God will humble us, and may it be so. As we come to know the greatness of God, we go the other way. We are cut down to size. But he brings us down that he may bring us up. Those who disobey God and his delegated authorities, parents, pastors, and others, mock God 
and make assault on his honor. So God wages war against them and he wins. Against Pharaoh, Caesars, Israel, Christians or the Gentiles. But thank God for God's mercy which he freely shows to his elect. His mercy sends us to heaven. Us who merited hell. But his mercy is shown to us based on his justice. Because Christ died for our sins. Listen friends. Exodus 34, 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 86, verse 5, You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in mercy to all who call to you. Psalm 86, 15, But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, plenteous, in mercy and faithfulness. Psalm 103 verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Ephesians 2, 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Let's praise God for his mercy. Mercy toward us. His plenteous mercy. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied for me. There my burdened heart found liberty. I will have compassion to whomever I have compassion. That's number one. Number two, I will have mercy to whomever I have mercy. What is compassion, sir? What's the difference between compassion and mercy? Compassion is, it is God feeling our pain. Compassion means really feeling other people's pain. It is expressed by a Greek word, splankenizomai. Heart going out toward the miserable sinners. And so Mark 1, 40 and 41, there was a leper. He says, you are able, but I don't know whether you are willing to help me. And the text says, Jesus had compassion toward his heart, his bowels went out to that person. And mercy is actually helping. He touched him and healed him. The father of the prodigal saw the prodigal coming. He moved with compassion. Luke 15 verse 20. And then showed mercy by receiving him. Not as a slave but as a son. Compassion is feeling. Mercy is acting. To show mercy is to act mercifully to the miserable. 
So God is not unrighteous when he shows mercy to some and not to others. He is acting justly in his sovereign freedom. So this is what the scripture teaches in Exodus 33 verse 19. God acts freely to save only some. The heresy of universalism taught by theologian Karl Barth and others contradicts scriptures and the character and the glory of God. Universalism teaches God saves all, all humans and all demons. Bible condemns universalism. Dr. Jones says real mystery is not that everybody is not saved but that Anybody is saved. The problem is of these heretics is that they do not think God's thoughts after him. They will not subject themselves to the scripture. And so when you read Isaiah 55 verse 8 it says what? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Shut up subject to the self-revelation of God. So Exodus 33, 19 explains also why the majority of the Jews rejected their Messiah and only few believed in him. This verse also explains why few today believe in Jesus Christ. John 12, verse 40, let me read this to you. He God has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal. God has blinded. When you see somebody again and again and again and again, Rebellious, disobedient. One must draw a conclusion that God is hardening this man's heart for destruction that he may glorify himself by that destruction. Therefore I plead with you if you have been hardening and hardening and questioning And if you have been in a state of obduracy and obstinacy and stubbornness, may God help you by his grace to humble yourselves that he may save you, that he may show mercy to you. Because we just discovered he is plenteous in mercy. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to be humbled by you, that we may be lifted up by you, we may be saved by you, we may experience your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, a part one of this message entitled, The Absolute Freedom of God. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew. 